Okay, we're going to see what happens here today. Would you mind standing with me in honor of God's Word? We're in a series called Uniquely Luke. These are passages only found in the book of Luke. Now today, I had to do one on Zacchaeus that is uniquely Luke, and then I had to include another one, and it will all become clear later on. Here we go. Luke chapter 18. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. So that was on his way into Jericho. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, would you open up our heart to your enormous heart? Lord, you came not just to save people that wanted to be saved, but to seek them before they even knew there was such a thing as salvation. Would you come and have your way in this place? I'm going to ask you to remain standing for a moment because there's a little story that goes with it. And all Monday I'm working on this text. I'm checking all the commentaries. I've got a message going called Jesus Found Me or something like that. I can't remember what it was. And it's just Zacchaeus because it's 19, 1 through 10. It's just on Zacchaeus, which is uniquely Luke. I wake up. Tuesday morning, and I, and, I, and I see something. This is all about divine appointment. This, this is all, these two stories parallel where Jesus is meeting somebody. The crowd has an agenda for that person that's very different than God's agenda. And, but there is a divine moment, a divine partnership when heaven comes to earth. And do you, ever ha- do you ever have a time when a song just starts coming to you? Like you're just, you're just I don't know, whatever. And it just, uh, it, it bubbles up. So this old song bubbles up with me that we're going to sing right now. Don't leave me by myself. <laughs> Shackled by a heavy burden. 
Neath the load of guilt and shame Then the hand of Jesus touched me And now I am no longer the same He touched me Oh, he touched me And oh, the joy that floods my soul Something happened And now I know He touched me and made me Let's do verse 2. Since I met this blessed Savior, since he cleansed and made me whole, I will never cease to praise him. I'll shout it while eternity rolls. He touched me, oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened and now I know he touched me and made me whole. Hallelujah. All right, you may be seated. The title of the message is Divine Appointments. Point one is Jesus sees you. As Jesus comes in to Jericho, this blind man who couldn't see him, who, who couldn't follow him, who, who physically, because he, he, he was blind, but Jesus comes near him and he gets word and he starts crying out. And the crowd says, it says that, that they rebuke him. Be quiet. To the crowd, he is an unsolvable problem that is now a distraction and becoming more distracting, and the crowd just wants him to be quiet. But Jesus sees something very, very different. In Luke chapter 13, verse 16, there's this woman bent over, and on the Sabbath day, Jesus says, um, be, be healed from your affliction, and she stands up straight, and the Pharisees get mad, and, and Jesus says this, shouldn't this woman, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, shouldn't she be released? Shouldn't she be freed from her affliction on the Sabbath? Everybody else only saw somebody bent over. He, he knows the whole story. He knows the pain. He knows how it happened 18 years ago. What led to the affliction? He knows the role the enemy has played. He knows that every year has been long that she has had this affliction. He doesn't just see the blind man. 
He knows when he became blind. He knows, what was it at birth? Was it by DNA? Or was there an accident, a tragedy? Was it his fault? Was it somebody else's fault? He knows, he knows everything about it. He knows what life has like been like while he's blind. He, he knows the rejection that he's felt from the crowd. Jesus sees. So then it says that, he, that, that when he gets healed, it says that the, all the people are praying. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody's talking about this healing. And so my, this is my own little thought. I think word has gotten to Zacchaeus that there has been a miraculous healing. Maybe, maybe Zacchaeus knew the blind man. Maybe he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that's a miracle. He's seeing it is a miracle. But I think something else is happening with Zacchaeus. He is a chief tax collector. He is a notorious sinner. He is the worst of the worst. To collect taxes was a betrayal to Jews because you work for Rome. So it's, it's already a betrayal, but you could charge as much as you wanted and you got to keep it. And he's become rich off the backs of Jewish people. So they're like, he's everybody, it says. They all grumbled about Zacchaeus. Don't, that God should not be mixing with evil like this. Now, this is once again my own opinion, but I think he's heard that there's a tax collector in Jesus' followers. When Matthew starts following Jesus, the first thing that happens is there is a party at Matthew's house, and tax collectors come from all over the place to be at Matthew's house. I think that Zacchaeus has gotten word from tax, other tax collectors that Jesus, religious people don't want me, but Jesus wanted a tax collector. Uh, why do I think that? Because I have a feeling that tax collectors talk to each other. Why? Because no one else will talk to them. That, that's all they have is their own little fellowship because they're absolutely rejected by Jewish culture. So they talk to each other and I think word is out. Jesus, not only has he done this miracle, but he, he is in a different class than religious people. He actually wants me. And so he, he breaks all the protocols of that society. In that society, Jewish men did not run. You would stir up dust, it, it was undignified, and they certainly didn't climb trees. And so he does two things that are absolutely taboo. He runs and he climbs this tree so that he can see Jesus. So Jesus sees him. Oh, he knows the story. He knows what he's done. He knows how wrong it is. But he doesn't just see that. He sees, we've got one, one little fact about Zacchaeus. Other than he's rich, other than he's sad, he's short. Jesus, Jesus sees everything. He knows every team he wasn't picked for in grade school. He knows every wound that has been lobbed towards him. He knows not just the sin, the brokenness that led to the sin. He just sees him differently than everyone else. And that's not all he sees. He sees a man that will do anything to see him. He sees a man that is running, climbing a tree. He knows how everybody else feels about him. He doesn't care. I must see him. 
It's just, it's just like the blind man that doesn't care what anybody else thinks. You, we don't want you to talk. We don't want you to be here. And he's just louder, louder. And Jesus is like, I see it and I love it. I see the hunger. I see the thirst. There was a show in the early 2000s called Lost. It was a very, very popular show at the time. Alice and I loved it. I'm just going to warn you right now. First two seasons, amazing. Downhill from there. They just kept making seasons. It kept getting worse and worse. Anyway, Lost. Here's why we liked it so much. So it's about these people that get in a plane crash and they're lost on this, this island. The main, the main guy, his name is Sawyer, and he's just, he's just kind of mean and grumpy and, and he's, just, he's just very distant and won't let anybody near him. And, and it's, it's hard not to judge Sawyer. Why, 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 is he, why does he have to be like that? Why is he so mean to people that are trying to help him? And then what they do is they will have what he's doing right now, and then they will, they will go, there'll be a flashback, and you will see him when he was younger, and you'll see the betrayals that he experienced, and you'll see his dad beating him, and you'll see how he could never measure up, and, and just everything that made him the way he is you got to see it. And then it would go back to the present, and there he is doing the same stuff, but all of a sudden, you kind of like him. It's like, you know, he's actually doing pretty good for everything that happened to him. And, and, and there is this, there's this compassion. So 1980, I graduated high school, and I decide that I'm going to go to the University of Wisconsin. All of my friends are going to Whitewater. And of course, that would be the place that I would feel more accepted, that, that I'd have somebody right up front. But honestly, I didn't want a repeat of high school. I didn't really like who I was in high school. I didn't like who I was around my friends. Uh, so I went, I, I went on my own to Madison. Well, I'm from Milton, Wisconsin. Milton, Wisconsin, population 5,000, class size maybe 25. Every teacher knows you. Every teacher knows my parents. Teachers are like cheering for you. If you don't have a, an assignment in, they're like, you know, are you going to get that in? And, you know, can I come alongside you and help you? And just everybody kind of knows you and kind of helps you do so. I go to the UW. There are now 40,000 students. I am now in lectures with 250 people. The professors don't care if I'm there or not. They don't care if I hand in my assignments. They're gonna, they'll grade me. I will get a grade that will be whatever I have earned, but no one cares except for me, about me. I am on a dorm floor with 60 young men, and I am profoundly lonely. At first, I think it's just, I'm just homesick. This is what it feels like to be homesick, but it doesn't go away. I am, but nobody knows it. Because I'm still extroverted, I'm still type A, I'm leading everybody to the bars, and oftentimes I'm drinking myself to numbness because I'm trying to get rid of this ache. Tried to describe it to a couple people, tried to describe what I was going through, and they, you know, they, whatever, you'll get over it. And thank you for that. Um, but Jesus saw it. Jesus saw it. 
He knew, he knew exactly what was driving me. He, I could fake out everybody else, but not Jesus. He sees absolutely clearly. He sees you. He sees you. Now here is something really interesting to me. The Bible says in Proverbs that it's not in a man to know their own way. So he actually sees you better than you see you. <laughs> like, have you ever said, you know, why did you do that? And you say this, I don't know why I did it. Why did you react that way? I don't know. I don't know. Jesus knows. He sees you. He sees the, the hurts. He sees the wounds. He sees the rejections. He sees the arrows. He sees not just your present bad behavior, but he sees everything that led up to it. And he understands he understands your DNA. He knows the chemical imbalance. He knows what is wrong physically. He knows it all. He sees you. And he sees you differently than this world sees you. Jesus sees you. That's point one. Here's point two. The divine appointment. So Jesus is drawing near Jericho and the, in the commotion, this blind man knows that he is near. What's happening? They say it's Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, he's, he's heard about him. He's heard about blind people being healed. Now, what impressed me as I, as I was meditating on it this week was there's nothing he can do to get Jesus to walk towards him. God always has to start in a divine appointment. God always, God makes the first move. Thank God that Jesus didn't just come to save the lost. He came to seek the lost. So Jesus makes the first move. Jesus is walking by. He starts crying out because he knows this is my time. God is coming near. And you said, that's weird, God coming near. God's everywhere. God is omnipresent. That is part of who God is. God is everywhere at all times. But here's what you learn. God is not manifest everywhere. God does not reveal his presence everywhere. When God reveals his presence, when he, you can feel him in the room, when, when there is an expectation because he is there in a way that he's making his presence known, this is when there's going to be action. There's, it's time for an appointment. It's time for a divine appointment. And those divine appointments change everything. But here's what he says. Jesus says this to, to this blind man. What do you want me to do? We know what the crowd wants. We know who the crowd has defined him as being. He's an unsolvable problem that's a distraction that we, we put up with, but we don't want him to get in our way. And Jesus says, what do you think about yourself? We know what they think. What do you think? What do you want? That's the question. Who defines you? Does the world define you? Does the world tell you what you want? What do you want in the deepest place? Is this just about you appearing like something to everybody else? What do you want? I want to be, I want to be healed. And then he says, receive your sight. Your faith has made you whole. Your faith. There is a partnering between divine power, divine love, and human weakness and need. 
There is a divine power and we play a role. God has set it up that way that we are part of this. There's not a divine appointment unless there's two sides. We, we play a role. This, this idea of divine appointment, I just see it so clearly with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is rushing to see Jesus, climbs the street to see him, and then Jesus says these words, Zacchaeus, we're in a moment. Quickly, quickly come down because I must go to your house today. This is, there is divine action. Jesus feels it. And when it's, when that's happening, it's time to move. It's not time to hesitate. It's time to believe. It's time to enter in. There is a divine moment coming. And he, he, he gets it. He quickly comes down and says he receives him with joy. And there is this life-altering, life-changing salvation of which we see the result. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna sell half my goods. I'm gonna, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna restore anybody that I've cheated four times. There is this change because of this divine appointment. But you have to seize the moment. When God is speaking, when God is inviting, when God is offering, it is not time. Usually with spiritual things, we're complacent. That can be later. The important things can be later. Right now, I gotta get my kid to the game. Right now, we gotta have dinner. Right now, we gotta do da 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 da. And, and, and God just backs off. God will, will just back off. But when you and I agree with the value of meeting with God. When God is there and you're quick to enter in, quick to say yes, quick to grab a hold, there is this human divine moment, the finger of God and the finger of man, and and everything changes. Everything changes in those divine appointments. So here's what happened to me at the UW. It's spring now of 1981, And my friends invite me to a party they're going to have at Whitewater. And I am seeing this as the answer. Like this, this is what I need. This is what's wrong with me. I've been, I've been disconnected and they are kind of the answer for this lonely pain that I'm carrying around that no one can see. So I'm very, very excited about this weekend. I get there, I get to the party, we're in a dorm room, everybody's drinking and smoking, and I don't know how it happens, but a wooden beam falls off the wall and clunks me right in the head. And I'm not, I don't think anybody put, I don't know how it happened, it just happened. And of course, I'm in a lot of pain, I don't wanna show, you know, you don't wanna, cry in front of anybody when you're in college. And so I go out to the stair- stairwell and I'm sitting out there and all of a sudden the physical pain becomes less, not because it's less, but because of the emotional pain. No one has followed me out there. No one is even cares enough to come out and see if I'm okay. And I realize this is not the answer. This, this is not the answer. The loneliness actually grew greater while I was with my friends. 
So I go back to college the next day, go back to Madison. I'm in my dorm room. It's Sunday afternoon. And I'm laying on my, my dorm room bed and I am literally contemplating why I'm here. Why am I here? Why am I in business, majoring in business? What am I doing? And there is a knock at the door, a literal knock. And it's this guy, he's an engineering student named Greg Zaba. And he's the guy that's been talking to me about Jesus, like in the bathroom, like, like everywhere, everywhere he is. And so he tried to get me and I finally went down to their Bible study, argued with them a little and he's just, he's just been after me. And, uh, and, and my family has anybody in that category tagged as Jesus freaks. And so that's, there's one group of people on earth, Jesus freaks. And there are people that talk about Jesus when it's not church on Sunday. <laughs> freaks. And, uh, and so, so, but, you know, but so he, he, he now, he says, can we talk? And we, I get down to his room and I'm like, and, and he takes me through the four spiritual laws. And, and, and law number one, God loves you and he has a plan for your life. Law two, sin separates us from God. Law three, Christ died for our sins. He bridged the gap. That's why he came. That's what he did on the cross. He died for our sins. And I grew up with all three of those. So I knew those three. But there was a fourth one I had never seen. The fourth one was that Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And we have to personally open our door and invite him. We have to partner with him and make him our own. And there were two circles at the end and one circle had a a, a throne on it and there was a big S, self, on the middle and the dots were all messed up which stood for goals and purposes and the S stood for self and, and Christ is on the outside. A little cross is on the outside of this circle and the other one has the cross on the throne. Jesus is in the middle, a small S next to him and the dots are all lined up and he says, which one of these two circles is your life? And if he had asked if I was a Christian, I would have said yes. If he would have said, do you think you'll go to heaven? I would have said yes. For no reason other than complete arrogance. I was very sure that I was a righteous person. (laughs) I don't know why, because I was very unrighteous, but whatever. Um, It's just where I was. We had a question over Thanksgiving. We were just in a conversation circle. And the question was this. What would you say to your 15-year-old self? you had a chance. And here was what I would say, it got to me. Here's what I would say to my 15-year-old self. You know nothing. (laughs) Anyway, so he, he says, which one of these circles is your life? And there was no question in my mind that self was on the throne and my life was a mess. I was literally reviewing how messed up my life was. So I pointed to that one and he said, which one which one do you want it to be? And, and this was the question, and it's really the question that all of us ask, or that God asks all of us. Are we going to be defined by what other people want us to be and expect us to be so that we don't stand out and we don't, no one thinks we're weird and no one thinks, or are we, do we really want Jesus in our life? and let him take his place. And so I pointed to that one and, and we prayed and he prayed with me and it was, it was life-changing. 
It's an appointment with God. So last Sunday night, there was a testimony in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, that a 15-year-old girl named Riley gave. And Riley's story, and she gave the testimony Sunday night. Pastor Anthony told her that I wanted to share her testimony, and she said it was fine. And so here's, here's Riley's testimony. So a month ago, Pastor Anthony invited me to come and do an encounter service, and I took a whole team of people from here to do a Sunday night Holy Spirit encounter night. And I get done preaching, and this is just part of my theology now, especially being in a charismatic church and charismatic atmosphere. I, I'm, I'm very, I want to stay away from manipulation. I want to stay away from trying to get people to do stuff or shame people for not doing stuff. And so very, very laid back, and I just pray a prayer for the glory of God to come. And if you, if you feel the manifest presence of God come on you, that's an invitation. It's his invitation. He's initiating it, and you can just respond to it. And I, and I make it clear, I'm not saying we won't pray for everybody before that, but let's start with those God himself is inviting. And so, so we, we, I pray that prayer, and people come forward, and, uh, and Riley, Riley comes forward. God is, God is calling her. And for a 15-year-old to come forward is already a big deal. But in a service like this, where the Holy Spirit touches people and people fall over and shake and who knows what's gonna happen, it's really a big deal for a teenager to, 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 to respond. But she's got something going on in her life. A year ago, she started having trouble with her eyes. It went from blurriness to double vision. It, was, it, it, it took corrective glasses just to see right, but it created a tremendous fear, not in just her, but in her parents and in the whole family. And so she's dealing with a lot of stuff that no one else would know. And uh, so she comes up to get prayed for. We were not praying for anything except for just God to touch. God, let your Holy Spirit touch them. And, uh, and so God, God touched her deeply. She she went over on the power of God and was laying under the power of God. And, and after a while, she got up and she went to the back and she's just sitting in the pew and, and there's such a sweet presence of God in the building. She just starts gently weeping. And while she's crying, God tells her, or she thinks God is telling her, take your glasses off. Not in connection with healing. Not in, she's not like, if I do this, she's not praying for healing. Healing was not on the table. She's not really from a charismatic background, so the idea of healing isn't really in her mind at all. But she takes her glasses off because she feels like that's what God wants her to do. She keeps, she keeps crying, and when she looks up, she can see the paper in front of her. It's just a single paper. She picks it up. She can read it. She says to her dad, Dad, I can read. Dad, I don't need these. The dad goes berserk. He starts holding different things up for her to read. He's crying. She's crying. You know, they tell Pastor Anthony, and, uh, and forgive me, but because we, in a charismatic environment, because we want healing so much, and we want to believe God's healed us, it's easy to jump to conclusions. And so, 
Anthony waits a week, then he calls me and says, this, this girl, I just talked to her, she's, she's still healed. And so the next week we talk, I, she's still healed. The next week, so it's a month later, and she gives this testimony, Sunday without glasses, I am healed. Jesus, Jesus touched me. <laughs> Point three is the encounter changes everything. So I want you to think about this blind man that got healed. His whole life was now before and after. His whole life was, here's what it was like, here was the tragedy I was in, here was the darkness I was walking in, here was, and then there was this encounter, and now my life is different. It is, I, I met Jesus, and now my life is different. And he tells everybody, anybody who wants to hear the story, oh yeah, that's the blind guy that got healed, and, and he tells the story. You, we can picture this his whole lifetime. It's the nature of joy. Joy wants to share. It wants to tell others what happened and wants Jesus to get the credit for what he did. And so this story, because what, what, what does the story do? Retelling it. It gives hope to everybody else. It gives hope that God loves people, that God loves people that everybody else is ignoring or everybody else is like a, a burden. They think of them as a burden and, 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 and God cares. And so that story gives hope to everybody. And isn't it interesting that we're, we're still telling the her story or, or his story today? Isn't it interesting that that story is still being told? And then we have Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, he's changed. He's, he's, want, he's selling everything and giving not to get saved, but because he is saved, because salvation has come. He's received Jesus into his home with joy, which is a picture of us receiving Christ. Just as we are, we receive him, and then we want to please him. We, the, the, the fruit of salvation is that we want to live a different life. We want to change, and so he, he's getting ready to, 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 to change, and we can just see it, can't we, the rest of his life. Other people, of course, might not be able to let go of it. You, no, no, you are a horrible person, and he's like, I was a horrible person. You, and, and some people will, will, you are whatever you, your worst thing was, you are still that and you'll never be anything else. That's why it's very dangerous to let people define you. He's like, okay, well you can think whatever you want to, but you don't get the final say on me. He does. And he says, he said that salvation has come to me and that I'm a new person and that's the definition I'm taking. And I'm gonna walk in that, and I'm gonna live that out. And you can, get, you can see that story, giving hope to every single tax collector, everybody that's rejected in other ways, everybody that's sinned in other ways. Oh my, if Zacchaeus can be saved, we can all be saved. Amen. And notice that once again, we're still telling that story today. It's very interesting in the case of Riley. Riley is already telling her story, but to be completely honest, the whole night, that's the only physical healing that I've heard of. But God was touching people in powerful, powerful ways. Oftentimes, the encounter with Jesus takes our suffering and doesn't fix it for us, but it brings resolution in our hearts with our suffering. 
How can something be resolved that's not fixed? Here's how. When my suffering and whatever difficulty that I want God, if this was gone, I would be better. If this was gone, I could get on with my life. When God comes in to the midst of my suffering and says, I love you, and I'm with you, and I'm for you, and I want you to trust me with how you're suffering, you can come to resolution and peace even in the midst of things not being changed. And that was most of what was happening that night, is God was coming alongside his people. This, this, why is God like this? I don't know. Why, Paul says three times, I need this thorn removed. It's from the devil. Get this thorn out of my life. And God comes and speaks to Paul and says, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm not removing it right now, but my power, my power is perfected in your weakness. I'm gonna glorify you in spite of your thorn that you think has ended everything. No, no, I'm gonna actually use that thorn. My power, your power, your power, and and you can't get rid of this thorn. No, it's not that I can't, I'm leaving it right now. I've seen this so many times, guys. I've seen people come up in wheelchairs and God heals their headache. I'm like, really? Can you see that there's a bigger problem here? And you touch that and you healed their headache. Why didn't you get them out of that wheelchair? Have you ever had a huge problem you're asking God about? You need direction, you need a job, you need, you need something, you need him to sell your house, you need some big thing. And then God does like five little things. And he's like, do you even know about the big thing? What, what's going on here? I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. We'll talk about that later. God, this is about God being glorified in our lives. And we, he's waiting for us to resolve that that's the, the end goal of our life, that he be glorified. Not that we be comfortable, not that everything goes perfect for my life because I can have the perfect life the way I planned it and the way I expected it and I expect God to put everything in order because that's why he's there is to make my life perfect. No, no, that's not quite how it is. I mean, you can try that. It doesn't work. <laughs> it wor- here's what works. I'm here to glorify you. you. You call the shots and I trust your goodness with all of the things that aren't working exactly just right. And I'll tell you what, that's a divine appointment. Answer me this question. Do you think Paul's life was changed after God spoke to him about that thorn? Yeah, I absolutely do. Same thorn, same circumstances, but everything's different now because God has spoken. God has met him. God, and, he's, and resolution has come to something, and that doesn't mean that God's not gonna remove the thorn in the future, it it just means right now, he wants you to know that he loves you, and that he's here for you, and that you can resolve to trust him in the midst of suffering. So Monday night, if you were here, we had um, lots of people here, Monday night, it was the region-wide Thanksgiving service. We had 15 different congregations, different denominations actually represented here, all kinds of pastors. All, the Catholic bishop led the service. It was great. There was no parking. People were parking illegally on our lawn. 
And the reason why I'm saying that is I want to remind you, it is illegal to park on our lawn. Um, but there were, car- there were just cars everywhere. And, and, uh, and they had asked me to speak, and they, they gave me 10 minutes. And I thought it was hilarious because our people kept track. When I came out of the sanctuary after the service, the first thing Mary, Mary Jo said to me was, 10 minutes and 47 seconds. <laughs> and I said, Mary Jo, you're including the prayer time. They said the message had to be 10 minutes. She said this, she said the message was exactly 10 minutes. The prayer time was 47 seconds. Um, people were keeping track. I had told everybody that it was supposed to be 10 minutes. But what was I doing? Telling my story, telling about the divine appointment and the before and after. And I got to say to a whole bunch of church going people that salvation does not come from communion and it doesn't come from water baptism and it doesn't come from an altar call, and it doesn't come from praying the sinner's prayer. Salvation's not in an event. It's in a person. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is eternal life, Jesus said, that they might know you, know you, it's the genosco, it's the word for intimacy, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you have sent. Eternal life is about this relationship. And so it was a little tense in here when I was telling everybody that it's not about communion, it's not about water baptism, it's not about, but it helped when I said it's not about an altar call, it's not about the sinner's prayer. It's about a, I said there's one thing that everyone in this, this whole room agrees on and that is that Jesus is the Savior and then everybody exhaled and clapped. <laughs> I said, because I said, well, you know, we, we've got different ways that we think it starts. We've got different th- th- ways that we think it works. And so you've got these different denominations and this is how it works. And, but, but absolute agreement on the one who came and saved us. The one we must have a relationship with to be saved.